game, so I'm going to walk up to you, and I'm going to put a microphone in front of your face, and I want you to tell me the first word that comes to mind, okay? Tall. Thin. Great. Big. Small. Light. Dark. Here's the one. Sheep. Wool. Wool. That's nice. What else? Victory. Loss. Mm. Life. Death. Okay. Present. Gone. Mm, present, gone. See, I thought I was going to be really funny <laughs> and go to the back and be like, y'all think you're getting off the hook in the back by not free to sitting in the front in church, but look at you all sitting in the front. You called my bluff. So that game, it's like a word association game. And um, not that it, they were all, okay, not that they were all opposites. Like if I said tall, somebody said short. If I said life, somebody didn't necessarily say death or victory. And so this, these were actually called juxtapositions. When you juxtapose something, it's like you take two things and you pose them side by side for a comparison. It's this literary um, strategy and technique to draw comparison to two things. And the Bible narrative is filled with these juxtapositions where they put things side by side so that the readers or the listeners back, 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 way back had to actually listen carefully and think critically about what they were hearing in order to understand the desires of God and the de desires that he has for humanity and all of his creation. Timberwood's next statement of faith is a significant one, and it's multifaceted. It holds three separate juxtaposed comparisons in one sentence. Are you ready for it? See if you can find them. The statement of faith is at the top of your program. We believe in the bodily resurrection of the just and unjust, the everlasting joy of the saved, and the everlasting punishment of the lost. That's loaded. Who puts a sermon about heaven and hell in one sermon? We do. Pick me. <laughs> Let me know what you think about this and what you guys talk about, and then I'll be just down here to answer questions at the end. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. It is a big thing. Our statement, this statement, addresses our, addresses our belief in what happens at the end of this age. And I acknowledge, and it acknowledges those that will be saved, and it also acknowledges that there will be people that are not saved. It acknowledges the belief in heaven and hell. So where do we even begin? Well, let's first start by reestablishing some context. Because last week, Eric helped us to understand what it means to be part of the family of God. God extends this invitation to us to be part of his family. And when we're a part of that family, we're part of this family, right? We're a big, happy family. And we actually got to choose this family and each other. So we're happy, right? Right. Okay, or not. <laughs> not always. And we have this choice to make. 
when we are extended this invitation, we have this choice. We can either acknowledge our need for a Savior and confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior, or we can choose not to. Those who accept this invitation become brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what Eric told us last week. That is what our statement of faith last week indicates for us. So yes, this is true, but there's also a greater significance. When we become part of God's family, we are promised an inheritance. An inheritance. Part of it we've already gotten, but there's still some to come. Have you heard the latest trends in um, inheritances lately? There's this thing called the great wealth transfer. Have you heard this? <laughs> okay, so um, first of all, this is research done by Heart and Wallets. Um, it says, as of 2022, slightly more than 60% of U.S. households said they've gotten, will get, or intend to get inheritances compared to 46% recorded seven years ago. And so this surge in Americans preparing to inherit or pass down inheritances, um, there, there's more of them coming in the next 20 years. So this report anticipates that baby boomers... And the members of the silent generation, which I had to look up. The silent generation are people who were born between 1928 and 1946. So baby boomers and the silent generation will pass down an eye-popping $84.4 trillion in assets through 2045, with $72.6 trillion going directly to their heirs. Dad? Mom, I see you, <laughs> just wondering. But the inheritances that we are talking about here are not monetary. Let's take a look at what this is and what this entails. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll look at verses 40, 57 and 58, and we're on page 962 in the Blue Bible. Chapter 15, verses 57 and 58, page 962. And thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always bounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God we who gives us victory over sin, guilt, and death through Jesus Christ. That is our victory. That is part of our inheritance. What is the opposite of victory? Defeat. That is not what we inherit. God's, God's death defeated the ultimate consequence of sin, and his resurrection from the dead proved his victory over death. When we become a member of God's family, we immediately receive part of our inheritance. This means we do not have to be defeated by our propensity to sin. We do not have to be found guilty of sin. The inheritance that is coming, victory over death. Death does not mean defeat or the end. This is part of what it means to be saved. This is the hope a relationship in Jesus Christ offers us in this liminal space, the space between now and when Jesus, Jesus returns. We talked about this two weeks ago, right? 
We talked about what it means to have belief in the personal and imminent return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we talked about what we are doing in this time and space between now and when he returns. We were talking about that liminal space. But today, in our statement of faith, it says we believe in the bodily resurrection of the just and unjust, the everlasting joy of the saved and the everlasting punishment of the lost. So today we are considering what is on the other side of this liminal space. What is on the other side of this age when Jesus returns? In Matthew, we find Jesus telling his disciples what is going to happen when he returns. So let's turn to Matthew. Here it's on page 831. We're in chapter 25. And we're going to look at verses 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all nations, and he will separate people from one another as, shepherd, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. And then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did, and you did not visit me. Then they will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it, to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is heavy. When Jesus returns, the trumpet of God will sound and call all nations, all people, to appear before King Jesus because, remember, God appointed Jesus as the judge of the living and the dead. All people will be held accountable for what they do in this life. Remember, this is that liminal space that we talked about. And then there's this, he uses this um, clever juxtaposition again. He compares sheep and goats. He's separating them. He's separating the sheep and the goats. The sheep on the right and the goats on the left. What's the difference between a sheep and a goat? Well, sheep tend to be a little bit more docile, and they actually tend or are more obedient to the sound of their shepherd's voice. A goat, not so much. Pretty hard to shepherd goats, right? 
I'm not a farmer. I am not a farmer, and those that you know me know that. This does not farm. This does not even want to walk on a farm or smell hay. <laughs> but when I was little, early elementary, early elementary school, it was like May, it was, I got off the bus, and it was cloudy and rainy, and my dad's in the garage, which was odd for that time of day, and he's in there, and I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm pounding dents out of the, out of the roof of the car. Like, what happened? He said, your mom brought home a goat. I thought we were city-ish people or like suburban-y people, but my mom indeed brought home a goat, and she put it in the garage because we're, there was no place to put it. My dad had to cut our, my brothers and my playhouse off its stilts to make a makeshift barn for it. And then who got to go feed it? Me. <laughs> With a bottle because it was a baby. They chew the plastic nipple off the bottles. Goats are not easy to corral. They're not, they're not going to listen and pay, and pay attention to what their shepherds or owners or the farmers necessarily want them to do. So in this, the sheep are representing those living and dead that are, who are in Christ. And the goats represent those living and dead who are outside of the family of God. And there's more. How we live in this liminal space matters. Here, Jesus is juxtaposing two things again. He's putting and comparing side by side those who choose to follow his example, continue his ministry, and obey his commands to love God and love others well. And then he's comparing them to those who choose not to. In essence, he's saying, did you care for those who are unseen? Did you care for those who are hurting or in need? In Matthew, Jesus says, just as you did or did not do to the least of these, you did it to me. So this is not meant to be a to-do list, and it's not a do this and stay out of jail card. It's not about works righteousness. It's not about the things that you need to do or can do to earn your way into heaven. It's about a posture of our heart. Are we part of God's family? Are we in Christ? Are we obedient to what Jesus calls us to in this liminal space and time? Is Christ, through the Holy Spirit, working in us and through us? These are probably the most important questions you will ever answer in your life. because it's about a posture of your heart. Are we part of God's family? Are we in Christ? Are we obedient to what God calls us to do in this liminal space? And is Christ working through the Holy Spirit in us and through us? The answers are a matter of everlasting joy and everlasting punishment. And that's a loaded statement. And this conversation can go a lot of different directions now. But it's important to understand that there has never been and there will never be theological agreement on what heaven or hell looks like or will be like. And so I think it's important that we stick to the essential and we go back to the beginning. In Jesus Christ, we inherit victory over death. 
what does that actually mean for us? What does that mean for us? We can go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we'll take a look at verses 51 through 58 this time. Page 962 in your blue Bible. Verses 51 through 58. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. And this perishable, perishable body must put on immortality. Excuse me. This perishable body must put on Im, imperishable, be imperishable, and the immortal body must put on immortality. Say that ten times real fast. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sin? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What does this mean? What does everlasting life even mean? We can't even wrap our brain around forever. Being with Jesus forever? This idea of everlasting life is part of the mystery in verse 51. It's part of the mystery of our faith. When we are in Christ, we are imperishable and immortal. If something's perishable, it's going to decay. Like the leftovers in my fridge or the fruit that my kids promise they're going to eat, but don't. They're perishable. They decay. And being immortal simply means that death is inevitable. But when we are in Christ, this is not true. Death is defeated. Can you even fathom what that means? Can you fathom what forever means? I mean, really, the truth is, uh, forever, I don't even want to live 100 years in this body because it is going to get... It's already getting tired and a little worn out. And so what would this even look like forever? On this side of heaven, our bodies do have an expiration date. And the question about our resurrected bodies and what they will look like is part of the mystery of our faith. What's important is understanding the significance of the victory that we have in Jesus. And I think over the last couple of weeks... My understanding has been refined by visiting my friend in the hospital while she was dying. Every time I walked into Sue's room, she had a smile on her face, and I witnessed the hope that we inherit. I witnessed the hope that she knows she inherited, is inheriting. This victory over death and sin. My friend's body was worn out it was tired, and she knew that she only had days left with us. Yet she was the most joy-filled, dying person I have ever met. And I think that I have told some of you that. She said, I am not afraid, Amy. In fact, she said, Amy, 
I don't want anybody to wear black at my funeral, and I want you to wear bright pink, no problem, because this is a celebration. She's like, I am on my way to see Jesus face to face. This is something to celebrate. I'm not afraid, Amy. Amen, right? I have never seen that in my life. But Sue, and it doesn't matter if you visited her in the hospital in her last days or visited with her last week or last month or last year, right? She was not afraid. She understood the inheritance and the victory that we have in Jesus. That's what it means to be in the family of God. That is what it means to be in Christ. That is what it means to have hope in Jesus as the victor over death. That is what, thanks be to God, who gives us victory over all sin, guilt, and death through Jesus actually means. And then the saying will come true at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 55. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It's through Jesus that we stand to inherit everlasting joy. How often do we think about this? Honestly, I don't think about it that often. But I think my experience with my friend has prompted me to contemplate it more than I have. This morning, in our tradition of celebrating the Lord's Supper, or the Lord's Table, or the Eucharist, whichever you call it, we have a perfect opportunity to reflect on the victory that we have in Jesus. In a few minutes, I'll come back up here and I'll share some ideas and thoughts that will connect us between what we believe and what we participate in with communion. But before I do that, let me share some logistics with you. So there's six stations for communion up here. And we want you to come up in the center, not this center aisle, the inside aisles, two and four, form two lines coming up. There'll be two people here, two people here, two people here. When you come up, you can go this way or that way. Go back to your seats on the outside rows or the center. All of our bread is gluten-free. As you come forward, you can come up with your hands like this, and we will serve you. If you choose to serve yourself, you can have your hands down at your, hand, at your sides, and you can grab a piece of bread from the plate, and you can dip it into the cup of juice for yourself. If you are unable to come up easily, just raise your hand, and one of our ushers will bring the elements to you. As we anticipate this opportunity to reflect and celebrate, let us pray. Lord God, we come to you humbled by the magnitude of what you offer us through Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gift of being seen and heard and understood and known by you. Lord, I ask that you humble our hearts, help us to understand the significance of what we stand to inherit, and inherit as members of your family. Lord, would you open our eyes and open our hearts to see what you see and to feel what you feel so that we would respond the way you are calling us to respond. Lord, allow us to love you and honor you this morning. 
and remember the significance of what you have given us through your death and the inheritance we stand to gain. We ask all of these things in Jesus. Amen.